0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Look, productivity is everything, people. We all want to be more. We all want to be more productive. Most of us struggle at figuring out how to do that. On top of it, when times or things are uncertain, it can crush our output. I brought in an expert today to talk to us a little bit about that. Now, before I get too far into that, I do need to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today, I've got Dr. Todd Snyder. Now, Todd is a psychologist and a productivity coach. His company is Peak Productivity Psychologists, focusing on the inner game, and Goal Acceleration for Entrepreneurs. Now scroll down to the show notes and click ToddSnyderCoaching.com. Straight out of Valparaiso, Indiana, Dr. Snyder,
1: welcome to Startup Hustle. Hi, thank you for having me. This is fun. It's not often that I get to talk to another productivity expert, especially one with a published book on book under his name. So I think this looking forward to this conversation. Expert is a
0: term that that you are certified at, and I am I am on the outside looking at. I am certainly not a doctor, but uh, my my take on the on the subject was from my book Balance Me. Thank you for mentioning that, and we'll discuss we'll discuss that. Now, speaking of having real credentials and a backstory as a doctor and a subject matter expert, let's go ahead and hear a little bit about your backstory.
1: Sure. Well, it's not the traditional path that someone would take into the field of work that I'm engaged in. You know, I work exclusively with entrepreneurs and most of the entrepreneurs I work with are uh, in online businesses of some sort, whether it's uh, scaling up in an affiliate-based business or uh, working on reputation management or diving into something that's a little bit, you know, uh, bigger like uh, e-commerce. Um uh, I do have some entrepreneurs I work with in real estate and uh, house flipping and everything you you can imagine. But as long as there's this element of it's a scalable business, then it's a potential customer for me. And so what I try to do is help entrepreneurs to discover ways to reach scale faster than they would with the typical ways that we get stuck in when when we're thinking about how we want to grow our business. Uh, How I got to this point, I started out actually coming I I discovered the world of psychology personally when I was about 15 years old I think I was really struggling with reintegrating into the United States culture after having lived in Rwanda Africa for about five years prior to that so I was going through some culture shock I was trying to figure out how I know how to relate to my peers and uh, I kind of shut down and I just didn't really connect with people very well and then I stumbled across a couple of books um, some of them, one of them was Power of Positive Thinking by uh, Norman Vincent Peale. Another one was a Tony Robbins Unlimited Power book. And, and it just allowed me to, the, the core change for me was that internal locus of control concept. And I realized, wow, it's like life isn't happening to me. I, I can have a say in my mentality and what happens next. It changed my world so dramatically that I was like, what is this power? And I wanted to understand where did, what happened to me. So I started learning more and reading more about it. And that led me into the field of psychology. I was like, okay, so they call this psychology. So when I went to college, I majored in psychology. And, you know, I heard that, okay, if you really want to go all the way, you'll do a a doctoral degree in clinical psychology. And so I, I said, that's what I'm doing. So right after college, I went off to do a master's degree and then a doctoral degree at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. From there, I did, there's a couple of hoops you have to jump through postdoctoral, inter- postdoctoral fellowship and internship in a hospital for a year. And uh, then I set up private practice doing counseling. And mostly I was working with people with anxiety and depression and some marriage counseling type issues, relationship coaching. Uh, but gradually I got pulled into, actually, it's kind of a funny story. Speaking of productivity, I would be sometimes sitting in my office and I'd have a client who was sick or car broke down or whatever. They, they were a no show for their, their, their appointment I'd be sitting there by myself thinking my family's at home, I'm not with them. I'm sitting here by myself. I'm not making any money. I'm just wasting my time. What am I doing? There's got to be some way I can monetize this hour when I'm sitting here. And so I started looking into uh, online things that I had seen and realized, oh, I could publish an ebook. And so I published an ebook on social anxiety, which was one of the areas of specialty I'd been helping people with. And that kind of opened the doors for me. I started making some money from that. And then some other people saw that and asked me to help them with their info products. And I got sucked into the world of online marketing through that process, became a consultant to online marketers, Uh, helped to co-found a couple of companies in that space before I realized, you know what, these are my people. I just love working with entrepreneurs because they're working at a pace. They're sprinting instead of kind of moving really slowly. And and I just really enjoyed working with entrepreneurs so much that I decided to refocus my career toward helping entrepreneurs. And the more I dig into that, because I'm a student of what I call active ingredients. So I'm constantly looking for what are the active ingredients of success? What are the active ingredients that makes the difference between one person trying to do something and succeeding and another person trying to do the same thing but failing? And filtering that out, I became more and more focused on productivity and how mood and mindset beliefs and even just simple high-level business strategies can make a huge difference. So what I do at this point in my career is I help entrepreneurs with decisions and then planning and then execution on those plans.
0: So let's talk about the planning part of it, because, you know, the probably the world's oldest cliche statement about planning is that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, entrepreneurs often do have the cart before the horse. You mentioned like the sprint, the run. Um, And in my world of of building tech and software, the term sprint is the actual Mm -hmm. term that Mm -hmm. we use to get from one point to the next. Mm -hmm. When it comes to planning as an entrepreneur, obviously, you're going to have different elements at different stages, like upfront planning for a brand new business is going to be significantly different than. Um, uh, scaling a growth plan or just a lot of different stuff. Or or even in our case, like at full scale, we got to 200 employees in, 200, in two years. And then all of a sudden we we're like, wow, it mm-hmm. might be time for a new plan yeah. or to readjust the plan. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps you look up finally, because it's been going so fast and you finally look around you're like, oh, wow, none of it went according to plan. So mm-hmm you know, when it comes to planning in general, like what are some of the core pillars of getting started
1: with that? Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. It really, the answer to that question really does depend on where you are in that, that d- phase of development. There are some commonalities though. And um, one of the things that I think everybody should start with is, it's getting really certain, a lot of clarity about the end goal. Because so often we get sucked into the idea of creating the business and working on the business, working in the business. And we kind of, the the further you get sucked into that, the easier it is to forget what, wait, what was the point again? What's the end goal we're actually going for? And the reason that's so important, whether you're just starting your business or if you are scaling from 200 to 600 employees is because if you figure out exactly where you're going, what the end goal is, you start to become more aware of shortcuts you start to realize we, we don't necessarily have to do it the long way where we gradually build up to that. You can start to open your mind to lateral thinking exercises where you may be able to le- leverage excess capacity and jump to that end goal much faster than you were thinking before when you were busy just spinning your wheels, you know, chasing after that dream, working really hard and you know, taking a path that potentially could get you there eventually, but is not necessarily... Um, essential. I know, uh, Matt, you and I were talking uh, just before the show about uh, that concept that you should hire experts rather than trying to figure out everything on your own. More and more, I have found that to be really sound advice. Why go out and try to develop the skill slowly and figure it out on your own, reinventing the wheel when you could hire an expert, sometimes literally for an hour at a time to tell you, look, here's what you don't know or here's the question you forgot to ask in the first in the first place if that's your end goal. So if you come back to what is your end goal? I think that's just one of the those foundational pillars that regardless of where you're at, it really really does help to slow down your thinking around that topic, to create some space to ask yourself exactly what conditions do we do we want and is there potentially a way that we could get there faster?
0: You know, I, I've compared the lack of planning to being in a dark gym and shooting baskets. You know, it's like, if you can't see what you're shooting for, it makes it hard to get the ball through the hoop. Mm-hmm. I, I know you're from Indiana, so I used a basketball right. reference there. I, I, I lived in Indiana for eight years. I know the Hoosier State's great love for for the game. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the end goal, the end goal part is, is a key ingredient. Now, there's something that you mentioned that's... Uh, uh, I don't hear pe- uh, uh, two words that I don't hear enough entrepreneurs use excess capacity. Mm. Um, I am a firm, firm believer that, in fact, I've literally structured parts of our business and partnerships we have with other businesses around excess capacity. And in our case, at full scale, so we have a couple hundred software developers. At any given time, five to 10% of them are not assigned to a revenue generating client, which it literally puts them in the defining category that is excess capacity because I'm still paying them. So we started investing that effort into other businesses and a couple years later have invested a, roughly a million dollars worth of effort and, and, and purchased equity basically in other companies. Now, will those pan out? I sure hope so, but you talk about these little things that stack up, like if a couple of those companies grow really quickly, or if one of them exits or something like that, that's a big check that'll Mm -hmm. come back to us in a a lot of different ways. And, you know, that uh, excess capacity can exist in a number of different places. Where are some of the things, where have you observed excess capacity? Because I think a lot of people don't think about what that would or could or should be.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's start at a really small example. Uh, in the world of online marketing, digital marketing, uh, sometimes people say, "Okay, I need traffic. You know, how am I going to get traffic?" And they start with this idea that I've got a I've got a website, and I want to get people to my website. Where's the traffic going to come from? And they start trying to do things like building SEO from scratch, and and they're essentially trying to you know tame the Google algorithm and make it push, push them to the top of the Google search results or something like that. Or they're looking at how can I learn Facebook ads or how can I learn Google ads or whatever is the the latest thing that's working best. And one of the, the biggest insights I had I actually learned, I think originally from uh, an internet marketer, um, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago or something by the name of Mark Joyner. And he wrote a book, a tiny book called integration marketing. And I've helped a lot of entrepreneurs to execute on this concept. It's, it's very simple. Why go out and try to build traffic from scratch when there are already websites out there with excess capacity of customers who are just perfect for whatever your website, your business, your e-commerce product, whatever it is, they would love to know about it. And, and so and a great example of excess capacity is if you think about the thank you page on somebody's uh, checkout. So let's say you sell uh, fishing lures on your website and i sell fishing guided fishing trips to go um, learn fly fishing and so i mean it wouldn't it be great if somebody who's buying a fly fishing product on that thank you page there's this unused real estate online web real estate that says thank you for your order and that's all it says wouldn't it be great if underneath that it says thank you for your order and by the way here's a 50 percent off discount code if you want to go learn how to do this live with our partner And then that person gets paid a commission for sending a customer your way. And then you've got floods of free traffic from an existing traffic source. So that's just one example of leveraging excess capacity in a very simple way where you say, who's already got the traffic? How can I tap into that directly right now instead of trying to build that traffic from scratch through social media or SEO or whatever technique that you're using?
0: Yeah. And, you know, the, I mean, there's, that is a good example. There's a lot of, I've seen a lot of big box platforms, like for example, eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, eBay shows Google ads now, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of, in a lot of different spots on the site. Now, you know, five years ago, they didn't. And now the thing is, is because of the high amount of traffic that they had, someone probably <laughs> sat down and said, so you know, you know and and I think a lot of those those excess capacity decisions start with a little with a little bit of basic data analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you know that you have a million well, my often uh, my co-host and business partner, Matt Watson, you know, this is the CEO and founder of Stackify, and their blog gets a million visits a month. Mm. And yeah, a lot of those people are, are there to peruse different things, not necessarily what Stackify sells. So, you know, we've been talking a lot lately, how do you maximize some of that traffic? Because even a very, you know, one-tenth of a percent mm-hmm. that converts on a million visits is a lot. And, yeah. you know, I mean, there's there's probably, uh, well, this thing, it's easy to say, oh, well, that's only going to be a, a small amount of this, a small amount of that. I, I encourage entrepreneurs that are trying to get to a goal to remember to think about the uh, jar of change that you have on your dresser. Many of us have, and you know, you put thirteen cents in one day and a dollar twenty-seven the next day, and mm-hmm. whatever. And then at some point, you take that thing to the to the coin machine, and you're like, "Wow, four hundred yeah. bucks!" Right. And you're like, I'm rich, I'm rich, what am I going to go buy with this? I'm rich. But the thing is, is it didn't feel like much when it was 13 cents, right? Or Mm $1.27. And you know, those little things add up. Now we talked about productivity and productivity is and goal and goal acceleration or achievement. And part of what I, I talk about in, in my book balance me is, you know, eating that elephant one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause that's really the only way we all eat. The, the elephant is eat gets eaten the same way by right. each of us. And that is truly one bite at a time when it comes to the plan and the goals you want to uh, achieve. You have to break them down into small, singular, bite sized actions. Otherwise, the, and, and I think uh, you are actually qualified to confirm this while I, I'm speculating because I'm not a doctor, uh, but the mind gets overwhelmed mm-hmm. when it thinks that and we talked about uncertainty. Yeah. Well, let, let me ask you this what are the things that overwhelm our thought process? Mm-hmm. Like, uncertainty is one of them. Right. Um. I I, th- I. think one of them is like I mentioned, like, it, OK, people are like I want to lose 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. You need to start by trying to lose two. Yeah. You know, because your mind can wrap itself around that 20 pounds or 40 pounds or whatever. Not so much. What are some of the other self-limiting yeah. uh, conditions or 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 stimuli or whatever? I'm sure there's a. you probably mm-hmm. have a better
1: term for it right well there there's a number of things working against us when we take on something as simple as I want to lose two pounds and one of the first ones is that we tend to think with what uh, Brian Moran, uh, the author of the 12 week year so it's a method that uh, I really appreciate kind of simplifies long-term goals helps you to break them down into smaller and smaller chunks till it ends up on your calendar um, and so I've become you know one of their certified trainers of their system. One of the things I really appreciate about that system, the reason I have adopted that into the work I do with entrepreneurs is because they take your three year goal and they say, let's break it down into a one year goal. Now let's break it into a 12 week sprint. Now let's make sure that we have process control in place where we take that 12 week sprint. You say you want to accomplish this by 12, end of 12 weeks. Well, what has to happen by week three in order to get there? What about week five? Where where do you have to be? And you break it down. And so what are the tactics that are going to get you there? And then within your week, you say, okay, well, this is what's due this week of all those tactics that I broke down for my 12 week your goal, then if this is supposed to get done this week, then where on my calendar, which actual day am I going to put it on? And then once you're down to the day, you say, and which time today am I, which two hours am I going to block off for that long-term goal so that it doesn't get filled with the administrative minutia that can just take over? Because if, if you're like most entrepreneurs, speaking of uh, kind of the limiting factors that you're asking about, Matt, one of the keys is that we live in the age of distraction now. Things pinging at our attention—it's it, just constant, never-ending. Uh, and and if you think about what you have to do to lose weight, this is the this is the path I see a lot of entrepreneurs go down. I want to accomplish goal X, and so they start looking for information about it. Pretty soon they're uh, you know signed up to a lot of emails, subscribed to a lot of email sequences about that, and then they've purchased two or three products about that. They've read one third of each one, and then they get shiny object syndrome, pulls them into the next one. And they're not really taking action. They're not executing on something. They're just kind of in this information overload. And so we're, I think we're in a unique time in the development where, you know, we're kind of moving out of the information age and and it's because we're just constantly overwhelmed. It's like information. There's just too much of it. So now what we need is somebody who can filter that information for us and say, look, I've already done the filtering for you. Let me tell you the best way to accomplish that. So that's true whether you're trying to lose two pounds uh, or whether you're trying to build a $2 million per month company. Uh, Whatever the goal is, there's an expert out there that has probably already walked down that path and can help you to get down that path much quicker. So I like to say with this concept of lead indicators and lag indicators, if if you're trying to lose two pounds Uh, you can't just say, okay, well, if I asked you to go do it right now, go lose two pounds. People like, well, I can't just do it. Like, what are you talking about? And that's because it's a lag indicator. It's an outcome. It's the result of other things that you can control. And so part of getting certainty in your business and being sure and having that sense of when you wake up and you, and you show up in the office, you know exactly what you need to do to get from point A to point B. A lot of that comes down to getting really clear with yourself and your team about what are the lead indicators What are the actions we can actually control that will lead to the lag indicators, those outcomes we care about. So going back to the weight loss example, you brought up, if I'm trying to lose weight, I might track the lag indicator. I might put a little chart right next to my scale in my bathroom and say, okay, today I weighed this much and, and yesterday weighed that much. And I can see incremental progress over time, but what's more important, if I had to choose between that and something else to measure, I would instead choose to measure the lead indicators which would be, did I follow my nutritional plan today? Yes or no. And give myself a check mark if I did or an X, if I didn't, did I do my exercise? I, I,
0: I have it? a question. I have a question. Check and because I, I, I have not, I'm not familiar with this term lag indicator. Okay. Um, and I, I, that's new to me. So can we define that? Cause I think yeah. like I, it, cause I, I, I want to hear everything about where you're going with this. Cause it's, yeah. I, I think this is, this is really great stuff, but what, what are lag indicators mm-hmm. and right. what are lead indicators? And then I want to, I, then I want to let you finish on all that. Cause I think this is good stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lag indicator is an outcome you care about and there's a time lag before you realize that outcome. So if my, if my goal is to, to lose weight, then I've lost two pounds. That would be the lag indicator of success. The lead indicators would be the things that lead to that outcome that I can directly control. Like, did I work out today? Did I follow my nutrition plan today? And so in the business world, you know, if I want to hire somebody, I might say, you know, the lag indicator is that you know, these key results have been met. You know, two months from now, we have this person where we've given them a 10-star review on each of these 10 points that we care about for that position. But you can't just say, you know, having succeeded in that way is that the outcome. And there's a time lag before you'll get there. The lead indicator is, okay, how many people did we interview? Did we check their references? And there might be a series of those lead indicators that you can check off and say, we did those things that will lead to the lag indicator, the thing that we actually care about. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a helpful way of getting more clear about what you can actually do to achieve the goals and the outcomes you care about in your business. So in the, in the 12 week year methodology, you're going to be tracking both lead indicators and lag indicators. So if we say we want sales to increase by 30% this quarter, um, then, or, or generally we'd say in a 12 week period of time, then what we're going to do is say, we're going to say that's a 12 week year goal. And we're going to track that each week. We're going to say, well, what is, what are the sales numbers looking like this week? And how about this week? Because th- that does matter, but it's not nearly as important as tracking the actual lead indicators that will get us there. And that might be um, this week. Did three people in our sales te- team spend at least three hours per day doing cold calls to you know new prospects? That would be the lead in- lead indicator that might lead to the the thirty percent increase in sales revenue. And it happens the same way with big audacious goals. You know. Kind of, I know that you guys take on in the app development space or um, any kind of software engineering, and then and then it also is going to happen on the personal level. You know, with saying I want to improve, I want to improve my relationship with my kids. Well, that's that's a lag indicator. There's going to be things that lead to it, and if you get clear about what they are, and then you track it, you're measuring whether you follow through. That creates the certainty that helps you to stay motivated because you see a direct link between the lead indicator and the thing you want. Then it's not just show up at work and work hard and just kind of hope. Instead, it's like, no, I know it. Like this thing, if I do it, it's going to lead to the outcome I care about.
0: You know, the one thing that I find so interesting, and I and you know, I mentioned before we hit record because, and for those of you listening, we I, I, we take a, a solid three minutes before every show to prepare the quality that we then broadcast worldwide to 190 countries. And thanks for listening, but kind of joking about that. But what, you know, one of the things is, is I've recorded close to 400 podcasts, which means 400 conversations on different topics with different people. Um, And, you know, so much of this stuff, it is got different. It's just got different labels on it, hmm. but really in the end, you know, success. and I said this in, in my book, balance me success requires payment in advance. Hmm. And that's one thing that I, that I have really learned and that it does and that payment in advance. And that's the, the stuff you're talking about is identity. Well, in the, in some of these cases, it's those lead indicators, hmm. you know, like you're going to have to practice, you're going to have to plan, you're going to have to show up and do it. Right. you know, and, and there's, and it's not luck. And, you know, I've, I've talked, we've had people on the show, they're like, well, I was an overnight sensation, eight years in the making, right? you know, and, and that's just joking. Cause like, Hey, I was trying pretty hard before anyone knew who we were, but yeah. you know, these lead, I, I like the lead indicators. Um, and so much of that, I, I talked about that in balance me. Cause it, you have to start by defining exactly what you want. So in my, in my take on it, I say, okay, you get a hundred percent of your own effort. Does it go in your personal life, your physical life or your professional life? Mm-hmm. And people would say, there's always one smart ass in the group. That's like, well, I go 110%. All right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's when you get a hundred percent still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so someone says 30, 30, 40, whatever the categories are. And then you say, well, where do you really want to put your effort? Mm-hmm. Because uh, where they're pu- where people put their effort and where they want to put their effort are uh, are often wildly different. And you mentioned like, hey, I want to spend more time with my kids, or I want to do okay. So that's your personal life. Mm-hmm. Now, all these things have a direct effect on each other. Because if your physical life is suffering it makes it very difficult to work or your personal life I mean uh, obviously an illness can come up when you have a lot of stress in your personal life or maybe all you do is work so all these things are intertwined but it is it is a simple identification and when I say like different labels on these things whether you're whether you're trying to accomplish something in your personal your professional your physical life these lead and lag indicators as as you define them, so in my in my take on it, and like I said, often the this is what I find so fascinating about discussing these type of things with different professionals because they really do have a correlation. A lot of the stuff is in the different box, oh, yeah. and there's a different Absolutely. take on it. Right. And and the thing is, is as you as you mentioned, uh, active ingredients. Hmm. Hey, look, I don't care if you're reading the twelve the twelve week this or balance yeah. me or something else. If it's right. if it's an active ingredient that works for you. And it's healthy and it's not weird. Like don't go join a cult. Right. But you know, if you're, if you're, if it works for you and it makes sense, then those and according to your system as well, if you find the active ingredients that bake your cake, Mm -hmm. then turn the oven on. Am I right in that regard?
1: Exactly. Yeah. The concept of active ingredients really struck me one day when I was in a drugstore looking for, my wife was having a hard time sleeping or having insomnia or something. And she said, Hey, can you pick up some? uh some ben what was it benadryl I forget what she said I think it was probably Benadryl and I was looking at the ingredients of things. This was when, when I was in grad school and every penny would count at that point in my life and and I noticed that the the there was these sleep aid medicines there and I looked at the back and it's like the active ingredient is diphenhydramine, which that's just Benadryl. That's the generic drug name for Benadryl. And then I looked over here at the like the allergy relief stuff. And it was one third, the price. And I looked at the back and the active ingredient is Benadryl, I mean, diphenhydramine. And so, you know, it's the exact same active ingredient. It's just one cost three times as much because it's marketed as sleep aid. There's an increased chance people are going to overdose on it. people are less likely to overdose on allergy meds. And so, you know, when you think about it that way, it's, it's kind of like, it, it, it would be silly for us not to ask that question with our effort. You know, what is the active ingredient of my effort that's going to generate the biggest result? And of course, coming back to, you know, how, terms people like to use that, Pareto's principle is probably the one or the, or the 80-20 rule, as some people call it. That is so critical. It becomes increasingly important the the deeper you go into business. And, and I think a lot of people forget that we've got to, if you really want to be productive, you want to be certain about how you're going to get from point A to point B, I would say there's really two critical things. One is get really clear about what your unique talent is, what your unique ability is that would be very, very hard to replace in your company, and try to increase the percentage of your time you're doing that, and then leverage excess capacity to accomplish everything else, You know, whether it's the bookkeeping or if it's or if you're at a much higher level in your business and now it's about hiring managers to hire managers I mean hiring managers to to manage managers you know regardless of what the scenario is just do an audit of what where you're spending your time and make sure that you are leveraging the excess capacity of brilliance you have in one particular area and outsource the rest to somebody else or insource to your team or outsource outside your team
0: well speaking of outsourcing today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Uh, I'll go into this and I'm I'm really fast. I think this the lead and the lag indicators is really a key component here as well. Um, and I know we're kind of we're, we're we're hovering around that but there are there are reasons why you are or are not getting what you want out of life. Mm -hmm. And by being able to identify, as Dr. Snyder says, the active ingredients that are working for you, the lead and the lag indicators, like, you know, the there are, there are, I, I love the, I love the planning. Hey, if we want to hit the sales goal, we need to have salespeople that make three hours of cold calls. They need to do two hours of research. They need to do this. They need to do that. And they need to do that. And you have to look at these things on a very, very like, and not 12 weeks later. Oh, well, 12 weeks right. later, we get it. Mm-hmm. You got to look at it like on a daily basis. Now, every day is going to have a different mix because yeah. things come up. Like mm-hmm. one thing that I can tell you is that nothing ever really goes according to plan. A plan's a great idea. We love quoting Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Everyone had a plan until they got punched in the face. Yeah, um, and that's the way it goes. And every day as an entrepreneur, you get punched in the face. right it, It's just the way it goes. Yeah. So the thing is is like the, the most successful entrepreneurs I know are e- either are the kind of people that just get punched really well mm-hmm. and they, they can just take a punch. And then some people Mm -hmm. are really good at getting up uh, from the mat. And then some people are really good at avoiding the punch. And I think in many cases, like, which are you, you know, what kind of fighter are you when it comes down to it? Like me, I can get as an entrepreneur, I can get punched over. I can do all of them. I can, I can, I can avoid the punch. I can get up off the mat and I can also just take a blow. And, uh, that's kind of rare, but one of the things that, and I'm realizing here in this conversation, I need to do a better job of is truly putting off the mental red flashing light when the lag indicators are showing up. And these are the things that are going to slow you down. And I think one of the, I think you had it on the head earlier, uh, just simple distraction that push notification, turn your push notifications off on your laptop. Yeah. You know, that little flag that's showing up in the upper right-hand corner, of the lower tray. It's like, you have a new email. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It'll still be there in five minutes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it, and it probably didn't need an urgent or immediate response.
1: Right. And, the and those things. Respond, worse. Really? I mean, you're, you're worse off if you respond quickly to your emails. This is something that has been tested and shown to be true that it, that, the faster you get to inbox zero, the faster your inbox will refill, and so that's where it's critical. If you're going to do a technique, a specific tactic like the one you just described, you've got to make that that mental commitment, that pre-commitment to yourself, to say, "I'm not going to uh, f- respond to these emails just to then be distracted by them again." Have a time in your day, once per, once in the morning, once in the evening, when you check your inbox, and use an app like Boomerang for Gmail that hides everything from your inbox and only delivers it once per day instead of so then when you go into gmail to send an email you don't get distracted by the the subject line of a new one that says hey um i need your input on and then you forget what you even went in there for maybe you went into your your email to send a message but instead you get distracted doing something else 30 minutes later you're like what was i doing again oh rats now i'm out of time and so yeah distractions are are absolutely the killer if in this information age where we're, it's maybe the information overload age that we're all in now.
0: I think another thing too is training and conditioning. Well, you can, you can, you can create your own environment. Um, and some of that is training and conditioning. So I have a thing that I, I, I have what I call the rule of yes. Mm-hmm. And I license and encourage all of my employees to follow this because people often want to ask, they okay, if, 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 not, if you think I'm going to say yes 90% of the time, I want you to just do it and not ask, and I'll deal with the 10% of the time that you were wrong. Mm. And the, that is a necessary principle for me because, as I mentioned, with 200 employees, if each one of them oh, right. requires three minutes of my time each yep. day, that's a 10-hour day yep. every day. And I won't do anything else other than that. And look at the things you talk about lead and lag indicators. Mm -hmm. How many of the, how many of the things that, uh, as leaders, we often, uh, put too tight of a grip on certain things. And, you know, you got to start to trust the people that you hired to do certain things. And like I said, that rule of yes is like, if you think I'm going to say yes, 90% of the time, just do it and don't ask. And I started, I've been doing that for about five years. And it's been crucial. Like it's a, it's a really helpful thing when it comes to my own time and my own productivity, because well, a, most of those things you were going to say yes to anyway. Another thing too, is, is if you work around other people, you often have someone that wants to stop and ask Mm -hmm. every time they have a question and just simply ask some of those people say, you know, can you consolidate this and ask me all at once? Mm Because it's usually like five five to ten minutes worth of stuff at best right. that it might be six different items. But if they ask you six different times, now you gotta multiply that. You gotta get you gotta start to look at things on a scalable level. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned having two hundred employees and in that scenario, I uh, that I need a week's worth of time every day. So some of these things around you, you can really condition the environment and the people you work with to be more product productive Mm -hmm. by just simply licensing them and encourage When I say licensing, that's like me saying, Hey Todd, look, I hire you. You're good at what you do. You're a smart guy. I want you to just make these decisions Mm -hmm. and tell me about them. Tell me about the results. Yeah. Now that's really difficult for a lot of people. Absolutely. It's difficult. We just don't want to trust that anybody could possibly be smart enough to make the critical, simple decisions that we make, you know, and like I said, most of that is common sense stuff. So taking something like that rule of yes. Uh And, uh, and, and I just, I, I, I'm sure there are other things related to that. I just, one day I just, Sitting in my office came up with that. And I was like, God, I need to just get 90%, 90% of the time I say yes. And I think the, these folks that work with me know yeah. where you don't want to let that get out of control is can I come into work two hours late every other day, unannounced and unplanned? that is not a rule of yes kind of thing a rule of yes is can i go to the store and buy paper cuz we don't have any
1: right yeah you it's, know that that kind of stuff yes you remind me of that classic example from tim ferriss of empowering his customer support team to solve a problem without asking his permission if they can do it in 200 dollars or less or something like that if it costs less than 200 dollars to the company to solve this without asking me then just do it and so that reduced the the total number of requests of do i have permission for this but even maybe taking that a step higher uh, or a step back, however you want to think of that, it, sometimes it helps to to try to think of it as um, a situation where you want to remove yourself. That this is, a, this is a, a frequent problem I see as entrepreneurs are scaling up their business and growing is they'll hire people until they get to a point where they are the hub for everybody, everyone reports to them. And then it's kind of like you said, you've got 10 hours a day of just answering people's questions. So to some extent, what you might want to do when growing a business is instead of always making people report to you directly is, is treat, treat your own business, almost like an MLM in a way, you know, it's like whoever you hired that uh, one of my clients calls them his generals. You hire your, your two generals right under you. They hire their people right under them. Those people have others working under them. And so you have that chain of command and, and it's important to diagram that, create an org chart and say, if you have a question of whether you're supposed to do this or not, this SOP or this diagram will show you who's the correct person to, to ask about that. It can reduce a lot of that. In fact, um, two, maybe two or three weeks ago, one of my clients was working on this directly with some app developers that, that he hires that work remotely. And he was so frustrated with how they would come to him repeatedly with just little simple questions that they could have figured out on their own. And so what we did is we created an SOP that they have to follow before they can ask him a question and it, it has stuff that is so just it would make you laugh if you saw it like did you think about the solution yourself yet and if so you know is there a, a reason why you think that he would disagree with the solution you came up with a lot of that's a fear of being told that you did, made a mistake and so his part the business owner's part was empowering them telling them hey guys i'd prefer that you preserve my time and make a mistake instead instead of the other way around if you want a good performance review that's what you have to do. And so I'm going to actually start keeping track of how many times you ask me stuff. And then like you were saying, Matt, there is a check-in once per week or once per two weeks, depending on the employee. Uh, what decisions did you make that you didn't ask me about at the time? And they just go through those you know, 12, 15 decisions. And, and then he gives them feedback so that they can calibrate their decision-making to better match what he would have done in those situations.
0: Well, the the world of just the connected world that we live in, you know, I mean, literally all 200 of my employees can message me on Slack at any time if they have a question. Now, that doesn't mean they do. Um, but if you if you are getting messaged from employees and other people and you're commonly asking yourself, is this something Google would have answered instead of me? Mm. Then you need to do exactly what Todd just said there. And, you know, like, I mean, cause think about it, uh, people we just get impulsive, you know, and it's so easy to just chatter it into a, into a, into a box and, Mm -hmm. you know, and and hit send. And, you know, did you really need to ask the CEO of the company something that Google would have told you in the same amount of effort? Mm -hmm. And, you know, these things, you know, you got to spot and try to eliminate these things because they get contagious and they become very habitual in some companies. And, Um, really are the enemy of achievement and productivity and honestly sanity on so many days, like so many of those things, you know, it's like, I have literally found myself replying, did you ask Google, you know, like, and, 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 well, I mean, it it just happens. It's, I mean, it's not great. Uh It's not great. But I mean, on some of those, you know, it's like a reasonable question. Like, uh, do you know how to do this in Excel? (laughs) No, oh, no, I'm not that little paperclip guy <laughs> from the 90s yeah. that everyone hated. Yeah. Uh, I'm someone else that they hate for different reasons. But, yeah. Well, anyway, so once again, with me today, I've got Dr. Todd Snyder. Go to toddsnydercoaching.com. Scroll down and check out the links, the link in the show notes. You can learn a lot of great stuff. Now, as our time here comes to an end, we do the Founders Freestyle at the end of every episode, of startup hustle. So, um, I'm curious about what the what's the best advice that? And, and by the way, before I ask that, for those of you listening, you know we have had some very fun and active conversations in the Facebook startup in the startup hustle chat, which at one point was a decent community and now is beginning to thrive. So, come join us there where you can discuss many of the topics that come up from the episodes. You'll find many of our guests, all of our hosts in there. And we have some uh, different discussion material that we've come up with, uh, mainly posting some different cards that ask some questions such as, Todd, what's the best
1: advice you could give to an entrepreneur? Hmm. I love it. So uh, yeah, if I was going to just choose one thing, I would say slow down to speed up. And the best way to do that is to spend time making sure you're absolutely certain about where you're going. So if you can get those, if you can get that flow state, you know, if, if you're familiar with the work of the psychologist uh, Mihai uh he just kind of ex- he opened up the world with the research has subsequently exploded uh, since then in the last 15, 20 years about this flow state engineering, where you purposely get yourself in a flow state where if you believe the research, our productivity can be up to five times higher when you're in a flow state compared to when you're not and one of the best triggers of flow there's multiple triggers for flow some of them have to do with like physical action sports you know downhill skiing where there's this element of your your life is at risk if you make a mistake we can't really we can't really bring some of those into the world of our office as an entrepreneur but there is one and that is clear goals If you have clear goals it can activate that excitement You chunk it down, like Matt was saying earlier, it's so important if you can take your clear goals and chunk them down, then you've got a little race, you know, you've got got this little goal to to go for really fast to to drive towards that. And that creates that feeling of it matters. And that helps to activate the flow state. Next thing you know, you're just loving your work, you're accomplishing more faster, and you're making progress towards something that you slow down enough to think about what is the end result I'm going for? And how can I get there faster?
0: I think that's great input, and you know I have so many, so many notes from today. Um, you talk about just trying to get a little better. I, I, I got, I, I have purchased a new notebook that I have am using just for notes from the podcast because I realized I was having uh, almost information overload on some days because I record a lot of these shows, and yeah. and uh, I've got some notes there now. One of the things I, if if we're answering. So what's the best advice I could give for an entrepreneur if I have today, and this sometimes changes, but today, I I mean, and I I probably have a top three here, but I'm just going to pick one. I'm going to encourage everyone to become great at one thing rather than attempting to become good at six. Mm. And I I think, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to entrepreneurs on and off the show, looking at business plans, doing a lot of different stuff, working with our clients at FullScale. And once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io, but probably the most common issue that I see is people trying to do six things in the beginning. And that, you know, it's like that common jack of all trades, master of none scenario. And, you know, you have, especially in the early stages, you have X amount of bandwidth, you technically have X amount of bandwidth at any stage of the business, but it's a smaller variable. Mm -hmm. And if you divide that in your own energy, your own focus and all of that, um, you know, if you look back at the classic movie Ghostbusters, they could not defeat the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man until they put all of their all of their streams together. And that's a bandwidth scenario there. You know, let's like focus on one goal, one outcome. And, you know, now you got to figure out what that is. And sometimes you get halfway to it. <laughs> And you have to also have the discipline and understanding to maybe realize, ah, this isn't the right path. And that's yeah. that's that pivot. That's that move. That's the the agility that successful entrepreneurs also show. Now it's easy to get confused. You look at a guy like Elon Musk. That seems like they're inventing, building, or doing about everything from flamethrowers to mm-hmm. to spaceships. Yeah. That's. The, while uh, that entrepreneurial ADD exists and a lot of people do a lot of different things, you'll find that these people have still become great at one of them. Mm-hmm. The other stuff they kind of do on the side, maybe it keeps them entertained or something like that. Right. But overall, I mean, that's my input for the best advice. So once again, if you're out there listening, come join us in the startup hustle, Facebook chat. Um, looking forward to having a conversation with you about what we have a conversation about today. I'll see you next time, Todd. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.